0: the strategies that have developed. I'm getting I'm literally sitting here getting chills describing this because I'm in shock and awe that 22 years later we're still playing StarCraft and it is ev- evolving as quickly or quicker than it ever has because again it's just the, like all these games have these kind of infinite skill ceilings where you can just always improve but the the distance that you can improve in StarCraft is gigantically immense and it's just it that makes it so awesome to play because you will literally always improve if you're working towards it welcome to pick up your sticks where we talk about why gaming matters with your host walker
1: near and brett Lindley, i'm walker and this week we are joined by special guest artosis who's been casting professional starcraft 2 in south korea for over a decade if you'd like to support pick up your sticks you can buy us a cup of coffee at our ko-fi page which is ko-fi slash p-u-y-s pod
2: As always, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Brett. Brett, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I am certainly not the most esteemed person here in this time. That's that's a very real statement, <laughs> but I'm doing good. Thank you. <laughs> Please, well, that is let's fair. introduce our guest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So so
1: yeah, as we said in the intro, we are joined by special guest, Artosis. Artosis, how are you doing tonight, man?
0: Oh, I'm great. Uh, you know, it's morning for me over here in Korea, but... Uh, you know, I I promised you guys I'd come on and chat with you. It's been a while, so sorry about how long it took, but here I am. Hey, man, no, man, no, no
2: apologies. Yes, you followed yes. through. So for
1: sure, yeah. No, we're we're super excited to have you. So, um, you have been a uh, one half of probably the most famous casting duo in in esports. Certainly in StarCraft, if not all of esports. Um, casting StarCraft two over in in South
0: Korea for is it
1: is it been over a decade at this point?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I guess for StarCraft two specifically, GSL's been out for, it's going to be 11 or 12 years uh, coming up here in, in like October or so, or September. Uh, so yeah, very close to that. And overall in Korea, it's been over 13 years now. Wow. So when you moved over there, you were playing brood war still, or was the Starcraft two beta out already? No, no, it was uh brood war. I mean, that's, that's why I moved over. Uh, and I mean, we knew that Starcraft two was in production, uh, but the beta didn't come out until I was already here for a couple of years, I guess. So we always like to kind of start with with
1: people's story from 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 the beginning. So where where are you from? What was your childhood like? Did you play a lot of games? As a kid, was your family into it? What did that all look like?
0: All right. Um, so I come from New Hampshire, uh, just kind of a small town uh, over in New Hampshire, and yeah, I mean, I always really liked video games. We had—I you know, was born in um, 1983, so I had a Nintendo pretty young. I had an Atari as well, and uh, we all played a, a lot of video games. I was actually kind of more into uh, sports and stuff for a long time. Ah, uh, but uh, both my brothers really liked video games. I really liked video games, so we did all play a lot, uh, and you know, we were pretty competitive with each other and everything like that. Um but like I said, I was kind of more into sports. I played like a lot of basketball. Uh, was really into that, was looking towards ah uh, you know trying to get a career in that as young kids who like sports <laughs> do, you know. Um, but then in the uh, the freshman year, of high school uh and this was a little bit after starcraft was out and i mean i had played a little bit of starcraft with friends and everything but basically i broke my ankle really badly on a trampoline uh and so i was in a situation where like i was about to you know go and try out for the the high school basketball team and stuff like a a week or two later and i snapped my ankle and uh, i was unable to walk for like about a year i was on crutches um wow. it, was, it was a pretty bad break <laughs> and uh so that kind of like um made me just literally sit around for about a year and i you know i needed some sort of competitive outlet so i got more into video games at that point and specifically starcraft was a great one right we had it on the computer and i had the internet and i just started playing a lot of starcraft online to kind of have as my uh, you know competitive outlet I guess. And that's that's kind of where the Starcraft bug really started to bite me.
2: And uh, so if I'm not mistaken, you know, up until that point, you know, things were a little bit more casual. But as you got more serious in Starcraft, there was a little bit of kickback from your parents. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like, uh, I mean, at that point, when I have a broken ankle and stuff, no one's thinking twice when I'm watching TV and, you know, playing video games all day. Right. Um. But, yeah, I got I got pretty competitive pretty quickly with it. Like, even when uh, I got back on my feet and everything, I was, like, very much into it. I was playing some with my friends. They all quit kind of fast. Like, I, I became real competitive and wanted to make sure I could beat all them. And, uh, you know, I, I joined very quickly some of the more competitive channels, uh, on Battle.net for for playing Starcraft and got to kind of know all the top or maybe mid-level competitive players and kind of rose through the ranks very quickly in America. Um, and yeah, I started practicing a hell of a lot as tournaments started to arise around 2002, uh, you know, land tournaments started really popping up and, uh, I definitely, yeah, uh, grew up with just my mom. Uh, my parents split when I was like two, so like, it was always just kind of her around, and, uh, she, she thought I had video game addiction. This was like back when like 60 minutes was doing like exposes on EverQuest being bad for your kids. <laughs> so I understand her point I of view. I remember that. Yes. Oh, yes. oh,
2: that particular, that particular episode sent yes. the world alight for a while.
0: <laughs> that, ep- the 60 minutes crew don't realize what they did to people like me. It was, it was a painful time. Cause she was pretty damn certain that she had learned about what was wrong with me and It turned into kind of a daily battle where I'm trying to practice and, uh, you know, she's, she's taking pieces of the computer so that I can't practice as well. Uh, one thing I, I like to point out, right? Like moms don't know that much about computers. So like she took the router for instance. And so I, went down and bought another router and just hid it under my bed and played while she was asleep you know the that... power
2: cord that's like the most standardized oh, yeah. triple plug on both sides like I, I,
0: I remember once she like took my keyboard and i was just like oh i have another keyboard but it's not like the one that i like this is really <laughs> annoying you know this is oh. that
2: actually hurts <laughs> yeah
0: it's like I she has no idea what's happening with the, the router being replugged in, but if I just replug in like a bad keyboard, I'm like, ah, this is just not as good to practice on. I have but... to use a
2: rollerball mouse. <laughs> this is not gonna work. I don't I'm not cleaning that.
0: <laughs> oh well, yeah. I mean back then actually it was a rollerball mouse all the time. <laughs> I, I remember it very clearly, but having to clean that thing before tournaments. Were you it... a pop-off or a twist-off method? Um well, I for, I ball, think it, it, for ball removal. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, it had this little plate on the bottom. I remember it was this little green like Microsoft mouse that looked like a house. It like the buttons were like shaped like houses. Oh. If you just type in like house <laughs> mouse, you'll find it. But yeah, it, it screwed off on the bottom, and the ball would just drop out, and then I get tweezers and pick off all the lint around the little roll wheels. Like <laughs> that hair's the
2: worst. Yeah, like. no, you you had
0: to do it, especially yep. before a tournament. That was part of the ritual. Um. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, she really, uh, was like, it would kind of fight me on it because I was playing a lot. Um, you know, I was not doing very well in school because I kind of practiced all night and I just was not interested in school at that point. You know, I knew all about the Korean pro scene eventually. And, uh, at, at some point, it kind of just became my life's mission to go to Korea for StarCraft because I was like, well, this is just the thing that, that, gets me up in the morning makes me excited it's like all i do and i was playing all the uh, american tournaments you know hating wcg a lot i represented america a couple times and um yeah i mean it's there was definitely fighting back from the parents but it all worked out in the end here i am in korea right
1: well so i'm curious you know when you're doing those land tournaments in the early 2000s um obviously now i mean there's tournaments all over the place. I guess they're not always land necessarily, mm-hmm. but back then was, was there prize money still? Was it lucrative at all? If you won, like, were you, were you able to, to show like, Hey, I'm actually making money at this? Or was that not really a thing as much back then?
0: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near as much a thing. Um, so like some of the tournaments, for instance, the first land that I flew to, uh, in, in, I believe it was early 2002 was Game fixes Million Man Land and Game Fix was like the esports ish, and it wasn't called esports back there and then. Uh, shoot off of Comp USA, right? So, this was like this cool land in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, like I went down there, basically, all the top Americans went to that one, and I kind of i got eliminated kind of fast. I forget exactly what my ranking was in the tournament, maybe 10th or something like that. Um, but I won like 75 bucks for that. Uh, And, you know, obviously I flew to Kentucky and split a hotel room with another player. And uh, so that was, that was a net loss. Um, (laughs) And then the, the next land I went to was a a little bit later that year was um, a WCG uh, USA qualifier in Dallas, Texas. And so that's another plane flight, uh, staying in a hotel room, some taxis, some food to get to the actual land center. And, and, that one I ended up winning, but what it, the only thing it gave me was the flight in the hotel room to the USA finals. Right. So that was, that was a very common thing. And then you would also win peripherals a lot, but even winning some of the biggest tournaments in the country did not always have prize money. In fact, there was like a tournament in 2004 where the top three prizes were exactly the same. And I ended up like forfeiting yeah. when I hit top three. because It was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, that's the, you don't, don't really need to do it. and. I mean, honestly, half the time, you wouldn't even get the the prizes. Uh, WCG USA still owes me like a... 24 inch monitor CRT like <laughs> so wow uh, which was
1: 24 inch
0: yeah. CRT is legit man that yeah, was that that would've would've a really size. nice back then yeah know. it I, also
2: I, would have been impossible you'd have to get it forklifted I was gonna say I need a crane to
0: move it. <laughs> oh I know I imagine if they gave it to me at the land I'm like well I can't bring this on the airplane that's too bad <laughs> right. um but yeah there was there was just so little prize money it was very rare I like I think the biggest prize money that i ever saw in a tournament might have been like a thousand bucks for first place mm-hmm. and it's like okay well that will offset the the trip but that's about it and one guy gets that so it was much more about kind of like winning uh spots or hardware i mean occasionally i'd sell some of them i won like a processor that i sold on ebay for like 800 bucks once which was cool mm-hmm. but very little actual money right so what are you what are
2: you doing in kind of your your non-gaming life to help sustain like your career like what were some of your early jobs
0: yeah so i mostly had like the same place that i worked at like i tried some other jobs like i tried like uh being on a cleaning crew at the local racetrack that lasted about a day i was like oh no this is not for me but um I basically the job I took is I was uh, I think it was like maybe senior year or or junior year of high school. And my mom's like, you need to get a job. (laughs) So uh, I went and worked at a a retail store. It's it's a northeast chain called the Christmas tree shops. And uh, it's just, you know, like knickknacks plus like, you know, random everything like, oh, it's summertime. Now it has beach chairs and You know, those noodles for the pool and and bath toys and, you know, whatever. It's a pretty big store. Uh, But I basically worked there on and off for years until I went to Korea. So it would be like I'd work there uh, all year and then basically WCG would get announced. uh, And oftentimes what would happen is I would quit at that point. And practice 12 hours a day on my savings, basically, and, uh, you know, pay rent to my mom and, uh, you know, kind of get myself to whatever tournaments I needed to go to with my savings and play the tournaments and then kind of crawl back to work and be like, hi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> can I get a job? I was,
2: I was a good, I, I left on good terms. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, they, they liked me. I, I worked hard right. and stuff. And uh, so, it, yeah, I basically worked there for for years while I did this.
1: So I'm curious, you know, obviously, you mentioned Starcraft is, is the, the the primary game of, of your life, I guess you could say. But did you play, you know, like Brett and I, for example, we cut our teeth on RTS with Command and Conquer. him, the original Command and Conquer, and me, Red Alert. Did you play any other RTS games, Age of Empires or anything else back then? Or was Starcraft your your primary thing?
0: So uh, I guess a couple years before I started playing Starcraft, uh, I, I think a friend burned me a copy of Warcraft 2 and uh myself and my older brother installed that in the computer when we were playing it and we were just like okay this is the coolest game anyone has ever made this is literally the most awesome thing in the whole like when we made we we're like sitting there together playing and like we made it like a night and i'm like oh my god this is the greatest but the thing is we were like uh i had no idea that this was like a competitive thing like we literally sat there and like made maps that was like an island that had a million trees and gold mines and like one entry point so that the computer couldn't kill us you know that type of thing so
2: <laughs> yeah i mean you need like the, your what I what was the max cap like 16 griffins or something like
0: mm. you, you need those griffin riders. oh absolutely yeah no, i know i well i was into the knights trying to get them uh to go go, fly yeah. over that bridge that was pretty <laughs> tough but uh, yeah, didn't, I mean, we played that and thought that was super cool and super fun, but it, it didn't really go beyond that at all. Never got competitive with that. Um, as far as other games, like, for other RTSs, I tried a bunch when I was already good at StarCraft. Like, when new ones came out, I would play it a bunch, play a couple tournaments and stuff, wait and see if anything got announced for it. Nothing ever did, so I'd always quit and go back to StarCraft. Mm. Um, but other than that, like, I guess before Starcraft and then overlapping with Starcraft a little bit I played a lot of Magic the Gathering competitively but that's really the Mm. only other game that I was into
1: yeah didn't you win like the first Hearthstone
0: WCS or something
1: crazy like that
0: yeah yeah I guess like (laughs) since Starcraft like since I moved to Korea I did do some other things like uh, I played Hearthstone at the beginning like when I saw that coming out uh like I mentioned I I Was very, very competitive, like right on the edge of being pro in Magic the Gathering. So I knew card games very well. And when I saw Hearthstone announced, I was like, oh, that's going to be big. That's going to be great. And so I kind of, you know, got all ready for that. And I won that the BlizzCon Invitational Tournament there, which was pretty cool. And then I, you know, I got to fly around and do several tournaments for that and had some fun before. I was like, ah, back to StarCraft. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, I did play that pretty competitively for a bit. Had some decent tournament showings yeah i mean obviously i'm skipping quite ahead in the timeline there
1: just when you said magic the gathering it just triggered the the heart yeah stone. yeah uh, <laughs> no, I, I love card
0: games card games are really really great it's just it's it's hard to do like more than one game competitively because these games are so damn hard and everyone's so good at them nowadays right yeah go ahead brit
2: no i mean i i actually i actually was going to jump back so if you want to jump forward that's fine <laughs> no not, not by all means go ahead i was i was just going to ask real quick uh you know you'd mentioned having an atari and uh Uh, there's a a lot of the people you know that we've interviewed are tend to be a little bit younger than us and we're all Mm kind of in the same generation there so do you remember uh either like a favorite game or really any of the atari games that you had did you have a a number one atari fan favorite
0: um well i played a lot of the um i think it was called like battle tank Mm -hmm. um yeah no i was i really liked that one uh there was like a a like racing game with like a motorcycle or something that it's I like remember. Pole
2: position.
0: Oh, pole position. Yes, I remember <laughs> this game. Yes, yes, yes. Nice. That was a great game. Um, those are the two that I like remember when I think back to playing uh the Atari. Um nice, I have nice. I have a lot clearer memories of playing on the Nintendo than the Atari, but right. yeah, they, the Atari was fun too.
1: Yeah, so one time I was listening to to you and, and Taze, and I couldn't tell you what cast it was. Um, mm-hmm. But you guys were talking about how StarCraft is literally the most demanding game, and and maybe RTS as a genre would fit into this. Not Maybe it's not exclusive to StarCraft, I don't know, but, but it's the most demanding because there's literally no downtime after mm-hmm. the match starts, whereas anything else, even if it's something like Counter-Strike that's hyper-competitive or Hearthstone or whatever, like there's some window of time where you can not be taking an action and where you don't maybe don't feel like you're behind in -hmm. that moment um but in Starcraft that is is absolutely true is that do you think that's what what pulls you to it is that constant demand and that constant um I guess challenge in the game or or is there some other element that pulls you to it versus other games
0: yeah, the well, just how hard and ridiculous StarCraft is, like I, it's just I. This is the type of thing that I gravitate towards because I'm very competitive and I just really enjoy it. But if you look at StarCraft and RTS is a genre in general, this would count for uh, with like StarCraft One being at the very top of that pile, like maybe StarCraft Two afterwards, Age of Empires Two afterwards, like the. It, but all the games are are like this, right? Where with rts uh you know you have first off it's like the only game where you have like all these different screens when you think about that right all these other games it's like yeah counter-strike you're like the guy walking around and like you don't have to switch screens to 15 different locations really quickly to manage things and you know that's in a fighting game you're looking at the whole screen and both of you see it (laughs) and you know so starcraft has this aspect of kind of jumping around in chaos which is amazing and then mechanically it's harder than everything because it, you are limited by yourself the game gives you like infinity to do and that like the mechanical play it really makes starcraft like closer to a sport than any other esport right because there's a- it's actually just like yes they, there is infinite levels of skill within macro there's infinite levels of skill within micro there's you know and then there's the depth of strategy is unreal the depth of tactics is unreal and when you put all of this together it's like it's so beautiful and to to see an awesome game or to play an awesome game and so rewarding as well because it's just it it stretches you further than anything else it's just it simply does it requires more speed and it's you know at this point strategies that have developed. I'm getting I'm literally sitting here getting chills describing this because I'm in shock and awe that 22 years later we're still playing StarCraft and it is ev- evolving as quickly or quicker than it ever has because again it's just the, like all these games have these kind of infinite skill ceilings where you can just always improve but the the distance that you can improve in StarCraft is gigantically immense and it's just it that makes it so awesome to play because you will literally always improve if you're working towards it yeah you know you mentioned when you when you played the warcraft
1: 2 and and made the 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 maps so that you were defended against the computers and all that kind of stuff i I think that's probably how most people play rts Mm -hmm. when they first start right is like oh i can build this cool base i can build a cool army and i'm Mm -hmm. invincible or whatever And that's how I thought RTS was played, too. And then, yeah, you go online and it's like,
2: oh, (laughs) this is this is so much. All of a sudden, Big Game Hunters is not. (laughs) 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 That's not how everyone else. Everyone else doesn't play the arcade. (laughs) Right, right. So, uh, you
1: know, we've talked a bit about leading up to, you know, your, your time in the early 2000s playing in tournaments. But then you you go to Korea. So how does that come about? And. How does you how do you talk to that with about that with your family who's or your, you know specifically your mom I guess who's not completely bought into this idea of you being mm. a, a full time gamer?
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess I decided basically in about two thousand four uh, that it was truly my my goal to move to Korea. I like kind of realized at that point because you know I'd been playing I'd been flying around for a couple years. Uh, you know I'd gotten a taste of being an adult outside of high school. I graduated in two thousand two and that's also the same year I started flying around to tournaments. And so I've done a lot of tournaments. Uh, you know, I, I work, I've, you know, just, you know, I have a car and stuff and, you know, I've tried, I've tried a little bit of the, I live in New Hampshire life and I've, you know, I've been watching professional Korean Starcraft for four or five years at that point and very much into it. So I kind of like let my mom know at that point that this was my goal to go to Korea. And I think she, probably thought I was crazy and this was not actually a real job and this was EverQuest addiction again. But, um, you know, around 2008, I got this little sliver of an opportunity. Basically, uh, I, you know, like everything was moving forward as far as what you could do on the internet. So my, uh, a friend of mine and I made a tournament together called Ascension um, and this was just like a tournament because suddenly we had things like fraps where you could record gameplay and audio and stuff like that. And I remember we uploaded these videos to an old video website called Bright Cove, right? Because it wasn't clear where you should upload this type of thing. And so uh, we made a tournament for the non-Korean scene because there was all this awesome stuff going on in Korea. It was really exciting. It had so many leagues and stuff. And But the thing is, I was playing, you know, I was practicing... Uh, When I wasn't working like 12 hours a day and, you know, I knew everyone in this the uh, non-Korean scene of any skill and I really had a lot of respect for everyone because none of us could win money. None of us were famous outside of this small circle on like TeamLiquid.net and within each other. And I just had such great respect and admiration for everyone because... There, there was not a road to even get to Korea. There was no, there was no way to do anything, and they were so much better than us. But we were, we were damn good, you know. Like we, we practiced hard and took it very, very seriously. With no, just so out of passion, everyone out of passion, right? So we made this tournament, and people loved it. They loved the, my commentary of it because you know I was one of these players, so I, I knew what was going on, and I could really uh, analyze it super, super deeply, uh, and so. This got seen by a company out in South Korea who were kind of starting to prepare some plans for uh, StarCraft II emerging because they had kind of done some. Uh, I found this out later when I got there. They had done like research into this, and they were like, "Okay, well, StarCraft One is huge here. It was StarCraft One was truly big in Korea. People don't get exactly like this was a top two sport out here. Everyone knew the pros and stuff." They were on commercials all the time and everything. Um, but they basically looked at it and, like, for instance, teamliquid.net was our big hub site. And it got way more traffic than the biggest Korean sites. So it was actually like, oh, there's a scene outside of here. And StarCraft 2 could actually help to jumpstart that scene. This guy, the guy who ran this company, he's brilliant. <laughs> and uh, he actually, he's uh, he's actually the guy now that... that uh, owns like SPO TV out here and everything. I'm sure that doesn't mean too much to everyone, but it's like a huge, He's he owns like a bunch of TV stations and stuff. Like he really, he knows what he's doing, but he had this kind of side idea because he owned one of the the teams uh, called Istro back then. Anyways, uh, through through someone else that works under him, they kind of reached out to me. They're like, hey, we want you to commentate some VODs for our website, scforall.com. Because they were kind of, and they named it scforall. Uh, To kind of be like, hey, StarCraft is for everyone. Like, let's let's do this. And they just kind of wanted to build an audience there before StarCraft 2 came out, which was still years away. So it was like kind of a long term play. Hmm. And so they just messaged me that they'd like me to make the videos. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I can kind of utilize this moment to sneak my way over to Korea. So I was like, oh, that sounds great, but I need to come to Korea to do it. And they agreed. So <laughs> that's awesome. Literally, they're like, all right, uh, we'll, we'll bring you over for two months. It's kind of a trial period. And I'm like, videos yes. are too big
2: to send. <laughs> I just can, I could just record them there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they they were thought it was a fine idea. And they bought me a ticket for literally one week later. Wow. Uh, and I had to run down and get a passport and everything. I was like, hey, I'm moving to Korea, mom. And she did not believe me. And I showed her the plane ticket. <laughs> and she was like, what? When are you coming back? And I'm like, well, it's a two month trial, so we'll, you know, we'll see. But I, hopefully, well, really
2: never. <laughs> yeah.
0: I basically when I I packed up like um like a, a duffel bag or something, because I didn't really own very much, right? Like I can't bring my really crappy old PC. I, it's not like I had anything nice. I was playing Starcraft, which was already nine years old at the time. Um, and you know, I just packed up my clothes and like basically told my mom, you can have my car and everything. Like I wasn't planning on coming back. It was like, no, when I'm over there, that's it. This is my one chance to make it. Like I had ideas in my head of going around and knocking on doors of pro teams and just being like, Hey, let me <laughs> like, I am here to work. I want this. Like, uh, and it all worked out, you know, I, I went over and that's, that's how I got there. And I stayed ever since.
1: So I guess whenever, um, whenever you get to Korea, obviously you got in with this angle of, of doing, you know, commentary on these VODs. Did you anticipate that that would be where you would continue or did you think you would get in there and then, and I know you did play professionally some, but did you think Mm -hmm. you would be a full-time pro gamer? Did you think that broadcasting would be a part long-term of of your time there?
0: Oh, I was pretty certain that I was just going to use this opportunity to get over there and to be a pro uh, because, uh, you know, I just, I, I already knew that I had the work ethic of any pro uh, and like I'm willing to sit. I was literally willing to do absolutely anything to play, uh, but like it just kind of didn't quite work out. So when I went over there and not the guy that ran the company, but the guy that kind of set everything up, that was like my the boss in charge of me. when we were talking about the deal of me coming over right i got to stay in the easter house and part of the deal was supposed to be that i would have a computer to practice on there because i had wcg usa coming up i was in the best shape of my life in starcraft you know i had i had all these tournaments to do and the plane tickets lined up so i could fly back to america do those and then maybe fly back to korea uh but when i got over there it just kind of like there was nothing. They didn't. They didn't let me practice. They didn't give me a PC, uh, and I basically had to quit StarCraft when I went over because I went over and I had just barely enough money to feed myself for those two months because I wasn't actually being paid at that time. Uh, so I had enough money for food, and that was it. And I didn't play StarCraft for about two months. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and when they when they did actually end up signing me, uh, the amount of money I was making it took me. I don't remember exactly how long, but I want to say probably six months afterwards, it took me to save up enough to buy a computer because I was making very, 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 very little money. Uh, ju- You know, again, just enough to live. So I was like scraping my money together to, to get that PC. So uh, it kind of like just became this was what i did for work and i started finding some other commentary work and stuff to kind of supplement that income occasionally and working with tasteless a little bit and uh i mean i I eventually quit when starcraft 2 came out uh to try the the pro gamer route again but it it wasn't long after i quit that i got the gsl offer so then i was kind of you know i was so poor that that sounded amazing
2: so in It seems like like there's there's you you've kind of got the ticket of your life. You got the 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 solid chance you get over there. What is what is the culture shock like of going from a small town to one of the most densely populated areas of the world?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was it was wild. (laughs) It was really (laughs) different to to kind of move over and and experience the way that people acted in Korea compared to uh, New Hampshire, you know, like. My first meeting, this was so funny. Um, like, I, I went... They picked me up at the airport. Uh, they drove me to the pro house. And so I go in, and then I meet the coaches. And the coaches come up and meet me, and they're just kind of looking at me like, who is this guy? And the, one of the really friendly coaches, uh, he, he was a pro gamer known as Zion. Uh, and he just came up to me, and like, in in like he had like three or four uh english words and uh he just like grabbed my stomach and shook it and like i was not i was not like really fat or something but i you know i just a normal guy but in korea everyone is like really skinny and he grabbed my stomach and shook he goes you're fat and i'm like whoa (laughs) i just walked into this house this is so weird um (laughs) But yeah, I had, I had a lot of things I had to learn about, like how to speak to people, how, you know, how to do, it's like the bows and the, you know, using basic pieces of the language to communicate and what was acceptable within a work environment. I worked in an office when I first got there and like things such as you literally can't leave until after the boss leaves. And it's like to show you're dedicated, you're supposed to stay longer, you know, just, uh, the there's a huge part of like drinking culture like especially back then you would go out uh with your work people all the time and 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 do that type of thing yeah it was it was it's as different as you can imagine from from uh my new hampshire upbringing
1: so i'm curious if you know again you're you get an opportunity the the ticket to korea is a week out clearly you're excited by it from from what you've shared but I mean you don't have a ton of money, you don't exactly know how it's going to work there, you don't know anything about Korean culture. Were you ever afraid? Were you ever anxious? Like how did you overcome doubt or did you were you young and naive enough that you just didn't <laughs> didn't pay any attention to that stuff?
0: Yeah, I yeah, I think um my mindset back then was it, it well the thing is I've already been playing StarCraft for so long at that point. And I've already kind of been through so much crap and, like, making no money and, like, squeezing by and, like, just doing my best. Uh, It's just, like, I wanted it so bad. It's not like there was any sort of choice in it for me is what it kind of felt like. It was like, no, I I have to do this because there's nothing else I want to do with my life. Um, I just wasn't interested enough in anything else. And this was, like, my passion was so, so much that I figured I... I'm like, you know, there's like 10 pro teams or whatever, like I will knock on every single door and try out for every single team and I will wash their toilets if need be. And like, it was just, I was ready to do absolutely anything to, to make the opportunity of moving to Korea work out because I just couldn't imagine going back to New Hampshire. Cause if, you know, if I can't, if I'm over there and I have one in and I can't make it work out after trying for four years to get there. It's not like i'm gonna go home and then come back that's that did not seem like a realistic that seemed much less on much less realistic than making it work when i was out there so it kind of felt like my one shot
1: how long did it take before you came back to visit
0: oh well i had a i had a return plane ticket to california for the usa finals um two months later so i did i flew okay. back i did that uh i casted I, I casted BlizzCon as well on that trip, I believe. So yeah, I think that was like my first, my first thing I was kind of doing. And then I had a ticket uh, return to, um, if I'm remembering correctly, I did BlizzCon that year. Yeah. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I did some of that stuff and then just, I already had a return ticket because they agreed to hire me at that point. So, uh, I guess that was my first pop back.
2: Was there, was there ever a kind of full redemption where, where mom goes, okay, video games, it's, it's not an addiction or are you still a video game?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she, she, uh, yeah, I, there, there was like a, an official, I told you so moment. Um, but no, she, you know, she, she gets it. She's like, yeah, no, I didn't believe you, but you really believed in yourself. And she was very, very happy for me. Obviously she's very proud of, of what I've accomplished.
1: I mean, that's back in, in the mid 2000s. I think even now in 2021, if someone was like, yeah, I'm going to move to a foreign country to be a pro gamer, I still think most parents are probably like, no, you're not. Yeah, probably. Probably Some
2: some progressive parents might be like, can't you just be a Twitch streamer instead? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's like, true.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: isn't that more lucrative?
0: <laughs> oh, certainly, I'm sure.
2: Why don't you go become a ninja,
0: huh?
1: <laughs> so... You know, casting GSL um, and and being around literally the best StarCraft players in the world. Do you interact with them a lot as the, the caster? I mean, obviously during, you know, the show you're not because they're playing and, and you're behind the mic. But are you interacting with the players a lot or is there a lot of separation there?
0: Uh, well, I would say in my regular gigs, there's a lot of separation because, uh, you know, you there's like a specific call time for casters so that we can get our makeup and then do like rehearsal, go over the show, things like that. Whereas the pro gamers pop in and they want to get warmed up on PCs and stuff. So while I've spent some time in Korea with pro gamers over the years, um I actually, back when everyone was on a heavier traveling uh, circuit, I, I spent a bit more time with pros, right? Cause we were on airplanes together and at events and it's like, not many people there can really communicate with the pros very well, or like myself and tasteless, you know, we have some Korean language skills and know these guys already. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've definitely spent some time with pro gamers overall, but much more with like tasteless and other casters and things like that. Cause there is, there's a bigger segregation there than I think people realize between pros and casters. A lot of times, Even at an event, uh, you actually just won't even be near pro gamers at any point because it's just like you're in a different area doing the broadcast.
2: So with that, we, you know, we've talked to some people that have given a little bit more behind the scenes uh, kind of look at like setting up an event and what goes into things like security and some of just the other people that are behind the scenes that may not get as much limelight. Is there a group of people that you fit into uh, that you do kind of hang out with is there you know camera crew or sound people or or something like that that you find yourself gravitating to during your downtime to kind of hang out and chit chat with
0: yeah so uh back in like the i guess you could call it the, like the mlg days and stuff when we were traveling to like a lot of mlgs dream hacks uh iem's and everything uh you know it was just like the group of people that i was personally friends with at first which would be people like You know, like uh, Apollo, Hydra, uh, Tasteless, of course, uh, you know, some other friends uh, like JP McDaniels. I was super close with back at the beginning, uh, Rob Simpson, Cody Connors, like a bunch of these people that are doing great within the industry. Now, we kind of just formed a clique of people that like to hang out and and did that. Uh, But as time progressed and things changed a little bit more and we got like a larger set of casters and stuff. We were spending so much time together that we all kind of bonded. So, uh, nowadays being two years ago, because of the coronavirus garbage, um, uh, it, it, it's much more, uh, caster centric, like who I generally hang out with at events and sometimes some other people get added into that. But you know, it's, it's like, for instance, if I go to an event, I'm super happy to see all my other Starcraft caster friends. We generally all just kind of hang out together and go out and eat together and enjoy spending time
1: so i'm now jumping away from your timeline a bit it's a question that i you know we've had um several pro gamers or ex-pro gamers or people who are aspiring to be pro gamers and are maybe you know in in starcraft for example maybe they're uh low gm high masters kind of play players Mm -hmm. and a question i'm always curious about because so brett and i are terrible at starcraft we are in the the dreaded metal leagues Mm -hmm. and um and so to us, like, if you're a master's player, you may as well be pro, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because the gap totally. between us and them is so huge. And so it, it can seem like if you're at the top, you're at the top. But, you know, especially with GSL, which is maybe the the, the final form of, of a tournament, you've got, you know, your code S guys, but then you've got code A and, and this sort of thing. What do you think it is that separates someone, not even from, you know, again, masters or, or bottom GM to pro, but from like a code A level pro to a code S pro, mm. or even maybe someone who's code S that doesn't ever get to the finals versus your innovations and your TYs and those type of people.
0: Yeah, no, that that last, like the last percentage point in skill is actually really similar, I would say, that as like the amount of time to get there, the amount of... It, it, It's hard because it becomes, okay, so like, for instance, if you guys wanted to get to masters, that's hard. That's going to take a lot of work, but you can kind of map out what that work is. You'd be like, okay, well, you know, we need to work on every aspect. So like, let's work on macro, let's work on build orders, let's work on scouting, let's work on micro. And you'd be able to level it up and you would be able to do it if you put the time and the effort. in. I think anyone can do those types of improvements and get reasonably high. Uh, but then you have like that last percentage point where you're actually damn good at everything. You're getting into GSL code A, right? But how do you get to be as good as Maru champion? It's like, okay, well, that's where it becomes really difficult. It's like, okay, what are you doing wrong? What is he doing different? And it it comes down, like, to so many different small things. If you actually, like, look at the differences, like, Oh, he's kind of timing everything out. He's predicting where you're going better. He's prepping these build orders better. His micro is still better than yours somehow. And he's multitasking during it. And it's like to to break that down and improve that distance feels to me in a lot of ways similar to getting from the metal ranks up to masters or something where it's like this can be a very long journey uh, and it's very hard to work out. And it's almost... The thing is, I think the jump can also be made more quickly because you already have the fundamental skills. So it's, it's almost like getting a limiter off of your brain, like having a, an actual breakthrough moment where you suddenly everything clicks into place a little bit more because there's definitely like this different level of understanding for the very top players where like they just, you might actually macro as well as a, a champion when you're you're a lower ranked player but like there's this little bit of of understanding that you're missing that you don't have in there and i that can be yeah it's it's weird to try to explain it because like i mean i i can't reach it right like i try i i practice a lot i play a lot and it's like yeah these players they just they know every like i know a, a lot i can commentate all these games and analyze all the positions very well but yeah it's it It feels like it's a really long journey but at the same time sometimes you do see people kind of just have that breakthrough and have that moment where they're like oh you know i get it now and suddenly they just pop up and i've seen that before where people go from like a low-ranking player to one of the best in the world like w- between gsl seasons and uh yeah, I'm sorry, I it feels like it's kind of a non-answer there, but it I guess it's it's the difference is still in everything, but how you get there is I guess that is a trick, right? Like that is that's the thing people are trying to figure out a lot of the time. And maybe I just don't don't quite get how they get there.
2: No, that that I mean it makes a lot of sense, honestly. It's it's kind of a there is no magic sauce. <laughs> um <laughs> But so you've you've cast a lot of games and, and in a similar vein there, you you know, you've probably seen upwards of more closer to more games than most any other person in existence. <clears throat> and and in that same line, do you think that more games are won or lost off of like, I, I'm trying to formulate how to say this. One person's skill can make another person's skill look like mistakes, whereas mm, yeah. without that you know without those you may not say they're making mistakes but when mm-hmm. you throw them up against a slightly higher rank like you said somehow morrow is still microwing during all of it or taking yeah. you know multitasking suddenly so, so you can say you can do well they're not so that's a mistake mm-hmm. but do you feel like more games are at that level are won or lost based on mistakes that are made or mm-hmm the skill and Uh, where is it where is it a mistake and where is it a difference of play
0: yeah because they may
2: not be doing anything wrong they're just playing different
0: yeah okay so i think it's like maybe like about brilliance from one side or mistakes from the other i think that we have games where it is pure brilliance that wins where it's like, oh, there is not a way your opponent was going to win this, and those games come out of some of the absolute best players, like Amaru. I think sometimes we see moves like that out of, like, an SOS, where it's like, oh, damn, that was just too smart. Like, you really tricked him. Um, So there are definitely brilliant games, but I think the vast majority even of championship games are a battle of who can make the fewest mistakes. I think that's what StarCraft is 99.9% of the time, and I tell you, the 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 overwhelming games from someone like Mario, you just look at it and you're like, wow, that is something else. But even in our last GSL finals, Dark versus Trap, he lost on mistakes and it was kind of brutal to commentate because he's the best Protoss in the world and he generally doesn't make these mistakes but against Dark with the pressure on he screwed it up unfortunately. He just, I guess he's not ready for his GSL championship because he made a bunch of errors with basic fundamentals and honestly like they that's that's all it takes to to win or lose is like can you make fewer mistakes than your opponent and dark definitely made fewer mistakes than it Well, dark wasn't doing anything brilliant there there was n- i don't remember any moment that i looked in that series and said this is the smartest thing i've ever seen you know where and i mean it's not that he can't do a move like that it's just that he played way more solidly made way fewer mistakes than trap. And yeah, so I I think definitely more often than not, it is mistakes in like fundamental plays that people are making.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think all of this is is analogous to to traditional sports as well. I mean, if you think about, you know, basketball, for example, if you're in the NBA, there's I think 450 people in the NBA. So if you're in the NBA, you're the very best of the best basketball players, right? Mm but the difference between a guy who is a practice player and like a LeBron James is enormous, similar to the, you know, maybe the code a player versus Maru, there's this enormous gap. Mm -hmm. But then if you were to look at it from the other side, I mean, again, to me, the code a guy or anyone in the NBA is, you know, infinitely out of my capacity. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, it, it definitely is a conundrum. Um, yeah, that's that, that is difficult to answer. Certainly, uh, so I'm also curious with the 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 constant patches and updates and you know even expansions with StarCraft Two. How often do you think that game or tournament outcomes are driven by the existing meta versus players' skill, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely some of that because the balance shifts uh, pretty heavily based on. You know the maps are a, a portion of it in StarCraft Two, but more so whatever balance patch we're on in the current metagame. And we've definitely had tournaments where we knew going in a Zerg player would win, or we knew going in. You know, likewise, there's been tournaments where we knew going in that like this guy's too good; he's going to win this, and it wasn't a race thing, right? Like with an old school with MVP, for instance, you'd look at a tournament, you'd be like, he is—he's the best in the world; he should be able to take this, and he would. Um, and it, like. For instance, when Maru went on the winning streak of four GSLs in a row, the other Terrans weren't doing that well, and he's smashing everyone in the world, right? So that one, like you look at something like that where he's the only one getting through, it's like, okay, that's not a Terran thing. That's not a metagame thing. That's a that's a purely skilled. Like Maru's on top of his game, on top of the world thing right now. Uh, but they're definitely I think that um when you look at things like uh, balance and metagame, that affects more of the broad numbers, like the overarching theme of like Zergs generally do well in this meta or on this patch. Uh, so overall, that'll shift the numbers towards that. But there's this thing that like uh, Day Nine said forever ago that I thought was just the perfect way to explain something. Just a brilliant, a brilliant thing where it's like you can always win one game on any map, like in any situation, right? Like you can always come up with something. So the actual results of a singular tournament, I think are not as affected by things like balance and and metagame because, you know, when you're in these small best of series, you can come up with a plan. If you have the skill, you can do it. Like the, the last live BlizzCon we had, it was a very Zerg dominated time, so the overarching theme was that Zergs were crushing everyone, uh, in, including Protoss. And but you know the best Protoss in the world at the time, Classic, he came up with I'm I'm getting chills again remembering this because Classic came up with insanity, and he got himself into the top four, and he did so much better than everyone else that wasn't Zerg in that tournament. It was not even close. Like he was by far the top performer because. He utilized his skill to overcome all that, right? And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I think I think that some of these other players, Dark Rainer, et cetera, were stronger than Classic that day. But he like brought everything to bear and was able to overcome in this situation. So, yeah, I think I think the the proper way to think of it is like the the players who end up winning at the end they are really good, especially in a big tournament with the best players in the world, and they are overcoming people regardless. But Definitely the numbers do get influenced by the the balance and the patches.
2: So one of the things that we try to bring uh, as a topic of discussion for everybody that have we have on the show and uh, certainly want some insights from you, it's our tagline. And we we ask everybody, you know, why gaming matters. So whether it's it's part of your upbringing, a social commentary, personal or a more broad spectrum when you hear the phrase, why does gaming matter? Uh, what does that spark within you?
0: Well, I guess uh, for me, gaming is my, uh, competitive outlet. It's, um, and I, I mentioned at the very beginning of this interview, right? Like I was, I was very much into basketball and sports. I actually like back then I was like, yeah, I want to be in the NBA. That's it. Like I, this is what I want. I love basketball. I played it all the time and stuff. And now I look at the man I grew into and I'm six foot one and I have small hands and like I had my arms are not particularly long and I'm like, huh, even if I had worked as hard as I could the entire time, odds would have been against me getting into the NBA without an ankle break. And I optimize everything. Odds would have been against me there. Um, but something like gaming uh, for me personally that, you know, when I broke my ankle, it became my competitive outlet. And I, I love that anyone can do this right like anyone can go ahead and play games and compete and have a good time and you can do it from anywhere if you have the internet and a computer or you know a console or whatever and that's just kind of nice i i like i mean i'm someone who wants to be competitive so it's like well if i can't really do a sport at a high level here i am and i'm i'm playing games and it's it's beautiful as well right like starcraft i look at it as like the more modern generations like like a chess or something right and it's just uh it's wonderful for that i i think that it's enriched my life a lot and i i mean i hear from a lot of people that love to watch this type of thing they really video games have been important to them throughout their lives and they uh you know they kind of relate and it's kind of like a place for people to kind of gather and and enjoy these professional players playing even if you don't compete and you know, uh, just kind of look at it in in awe and be like, yeah, I've played that game, it's so hard, and this is awesome to see how strong these players have become. Yeah, it's just, it kind of, it hits this, I guess gaming has become uh, much wider, but I guess as I was growing up within everything, it was more of like the nerdy people that were into it, and it was like kind of our thing, and now it's kind of everyone's figured out how cool it is, which is great, but yeah, I don't know, I guess it was always of a refuge in that way as well when i was younger right we <laughs> more more like-minded yep. people checking it out
2: so um i i kind of wondering you know now as we kind of starting to wrap up and hitting the modern era of of your life and, and, and involvement uh what is you you know you spoke a lot about it being your competitive outlet is it still your competitive outlet
0: Oh yes, yes. I yeah. <laughs> I mean I play I play uh StarCraft 1. Like I I grind the ladder uh 25 plus hours a week. Like I'm streaming during that time. Uh but yeah, I I mean I love it. I still do it. This is why I'm in esports is because I actually want to play. Uh you know, they I th- it's funny because like I I love to commentate and that is the greatest job in the world. I get to talk about my favorite games and analyze them and stuff. But the reason I love to do it Is because it gets me closer to the game and I get to kind of study it and watch it and see what other players are doing and be inspired by that so that I can bring that into my own games. Because for me personally, like I'm I mean, I'm 37 right now. I have four kids. I'm married and I don't see any end to me grinding out great RTS games and trying to get better and competing on that and just enjoying the hell out of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. Um, and I feel you on the NBA thing, you know, I'm so I'm six five. Uh mm. so I was like the tall kid the whole time, right? So I thought certainly I've got a chance. Little did I realize that um it turns out in the NBA if you're six five, you're one of the smaller players on the court, <laughs> yeah, yeah, So it's and wild. I did not grow up playing like a small player, so I actually had zero chance <laughs> at, yeah, yeah. at all. Um Lartosis, we are Truly humbled to have you as a guest on the show uh and and really, really appreciate you stopping by and, and sharing your your thoughts and your journey here with us. Um we'll have links in the show notes to your Twitch and your Twitter. Is there anyone else anywhere else that people should reach out or is those the best places to follow you at?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's about it. I mean, uh I I, I have like accounts everywhere, YouTubes and Instagram, all that stuff. But yeah, probably Twitter is the thing that I check the most and I stream on Twitch five days a week. So yeah, that's that's about it.
1: Okay, cool. We'll, we'll have links. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for stopping by. We we really, really appreciate it. Yeah.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a great talk. Thank you. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S pod, or just tell a friend about us because word of mouth really does make a difference. All of the links and our social accounts are available in the show notes, and if you want to hear more content from either of us, Walker hosts The Walk Show, which talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, as well as The Crowfall podcast, sharing stories and perspectives about the MMO of the same name. And my podcast is Dungeons & Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought.